It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Well, in your Bibles this morning, I invite you to, let's start in Joshua chapter 22. Praise the Lord. How many have been enjoying this teaching on the heart? Amen. Yeah, let's fix it to get really good. Amen. amen. Well, now that we've got your hearts healed, amen, have you got rid of your bruised heart, your broken heart, your offended heart? Amen. At least you ought to be working on it, amen. amen. There's a lot of things in life that can bruise your heart. There's a lot of things in life that can break your heart. And there's a lot of things in life that, that can offend you. And really, the thing is, if you say, well, I, I'm, guard, I'm trying to guard myself in all of that. Well, it's going to come whether you guard yourself or not. Offense comes whether you guard. It's your choice whether you take it or not. It's like Jesus talked about thoughts. Thoughts come all the time, but you don't have to take them and entertain them. I mean, you, have that, you may have a thought of, you know, going and killing your next door neighbor, but you don't have to entertain that. Amen. Now, we're going to start today talking about developing a heart for God. Everybody say, developing a heart for God. It is not natural in you to have a heart for God. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. We'll look at that in just a minute, by the in the Word of God. But you must, you know, and one of the best ways to start this process is to ask God. I did it years ago. Man, I was about three uh, or four months into Bible school, and I had these, I saw so many people around me uh, that were great ministers, uh, people like Brother Osteen and Teal Osborne and Brother, and they had these just great hearts for God. And so I started praying. I said, Lord, give me a heart. Give me a heart for you like these guys have. Give me a heart for God. You'll see that in a moment, in a minute, minute where that's scriptural, where God will put people in your life in which you want a heart like they have. So that you can serve God the way they do. Amen. And I begin to pray, Lord, I want a heart like Pastor John Osteen. I want a heart like Brother Kenneth Hagin. I want a heart like Teal. I want a heart for the world like Teal Osborne has. I want a heart for the, for the local church like, like, uh, uh, like Brother Osteen has. I want a heart for the Word of God like Kenneth Hagin has. I begin to pray that and God began to do that in my heart. And it was a very, a very uh, powerful developmental process that begins and never ends. Because once you get a heart for God, a heart for the things of God, you got to keep it. Because in reality, your heart goes many directions in many different, you know, you have a heart for your wife, your husband, your children, a heart for your, for your career, a heart for certain hobbies that you have. There's all kinds of ways you can, you, can, you can turn your heart, but you need to make sure that Jesus sits on the throne of your heart. That you truly have a heart for God. Now, now listen to this. We started, the, we used this scripture when we started this, this series. Joshua 22. Did I say 22 or 25? 22 is where it's at. Joshua 22, verse 5. It says, but take diligent heed. Everybody say diligent heed. To do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of, God, servant of the Lord, charged you. You know, he's saying, what he's saying here is, listen, he's saying, do the, be, a, be a word person. Everybody say a word person. Say, I'm a word person. Now notice it says, to love the Lord your God. Now we know how to love God. Anybody know how to love God? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You don't love God because you have a warm, fuzzy feeling about God. You love God because you keep his commandments. Amen. To love the Lord your God, to keep his commandments, to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I love it in the Amplified. It says to serve him with all your heart, your soul, your very life. 
Now, I remember, you know, uh, trends come and go in Christianity, and, and, and there was a, a, a kind of a prayer revival that had a little bit of momentum back in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. And, and I went to several of these prayer conference meetings. Some of them were large, some of them were small. And, and, and one of the, one of the uh, uh, principles of this was a commitment to pray. You have to make a commitment to pray. And they were all big on early morning prayer. You know, 4 o'clock in the morning, getting up. And y'all have all heard my story about me trying to pray at 4 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't work. Now, I can get up at 4 in the morning and go fishing, hunting, surfing, any other. I get up, man, yeah, I'm ready to go. But prayer, it does not work for me. But see, I did not realize that I would be living 20 years in hotel, hotel rooms, needing to pray in the afternoon while I prepared for meetings. So I became an afternoon prayer. And to this day, I still pray in the afternoons. And I pray uh, in the evenings, except for when Lee and I pray together a couple of times a week. We pray in the morning together, but that's usually later in the morning. Amen. When we're both awake, because it's always good to be awake. Amen. And so, you know, I'd make all these commitments to pray and commitment to do this, commit, and then I'd fail. And then I'd make another commitment, then I'd fail. And then I'd make another commitment, then I'd fail. Then I'd make another commitment, then I'd fail. Come on, y'all looking at me like that. You've never done that before. Amen. And I never did live up to any commitments. And so one day, very emotionally, I was crying out to God and weeping. And Lord, I'm so, I'm so unworthy. And I'm so saying, you know, I'm so sorry. And I, I just can't keep, to, uh, keep these commitments. And I'll never forget God. He spoke to me so strong. He said, never make another commitment to me again. And I thought, oh boy, I've done it now. I done messed up on this commitment thing. But then, you know, God is so tender. Whenever he speaks to you, he makes sure you understand what he's saying. He said, never, actually he said it to me three times, never make another commitment to me again. Never make another commitment to me again. Never make another commitment to me again. And then he said, like, he said it like this. He said, I did not make a commitment to you. I said, what? I said, I don't understand. And the Lord said it like this, I gave you my life. He said, if you will just give me your life, you'll never have to worry about some soulless commitment of doing this or that, or rising or falling or failing or this. Just give me your life. I tell you, I fell on my knees. I lifted my hands, and I said, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you all that I'll ever have, all that I'll ever be, all that I'll ever am. It's yours in Jesus' name. See, it don't take, it don't take long to make heart adjustments. Now, go if you will to the book of Isaiah. Since we're going to develop... A godly heart, we have to understand that there are some things natural to the human heart that come out of the human family that are very negative. Now, I'm going to throw out two words here, then we're going to come back and pick them up as we go today. So don't get nervous when I throw out these two words. That's the word humility. Everybody say humility and submission. Everybody say submission. Now, humility and submission are unique to a spiritual heart. Now, if you don't want to develop a spiritual heart, Please don't be submissive and humble. You say, what do you mean? If, if you're going to live over here in the world system and you want a heart for the world and the things of the world and, and you're going to grind your way out and do it your way and, and go your way and how, who sang that? Frank Sinatra, you're going to do it your way, amen? Then, 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 then submission and humility will be a great weakness to you because a heart toward the world and toward self must be a heart of literally a heart of pride, a heart of arrogance. Are you with me? And it literally is a rebellious heart. Rebellious when it comes to the things of God. 
And when you begin to understand that, you begin to think, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't it better to have a submissive heart and a humble heart than a rebellious heart and a, and a, and a heart that's very independent? See, the world, especially in America, it's very culturally correct for us to be very independent. We celebrate what day? We don't celebrate Submission Day. We don't cook hot dogs on Humility Day. No, we celebrate what? Independence Day. Amen? So we have these independent rebel. You know, it's really cool to kind of be a rebel. You know, you have a rebel. And you, and, and, well, but it doesn't work in spiritual areas. So you've got to understand, first of all, the significance of it. Then secondly, God's not trying to conform you to anything. He's trying to protect you because he knows the end results of independence and pride. It produces rebellion. And rebellion, oh man, when you start studying what rebellion is and how it actually functions and see the effects of rebellion on the planet. Now let me read. Are you in Isaiah chapter 1? Isaiah 1. Listen verse 2. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken it, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have what? Rebelled against me. Now notice this. The ox knoweth his owner. Animals are smarter than this. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people hath, doth not consider. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord, they have, they, uh, they have forsaken the Lord and provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backwards. Everybody say backwards. So you've got to understand something. Lee and I were talking about this the other day. In, in, in the creative ability of God, we know or are aware of right now two different species Actually, three different species, if we include God. There's deity, there's humanity, and there's angelic. Now, both in humanity and angelic, there's been rebellion. Now, you think about that. Both in humanity and in angelic, there's been a third of the angels are fallen. That's the demonic realm. Satan himself, Lucifer, fell. Took a third of the angels with him. So you've got rebellion. Now, when you think about this, now this is just opinion and, and, and conjecture, but just think about it for a moment. The, the, the history of the earth. Now, now if, you're, if, you're, if you're a student and you study and you understand things about the earth and about its origins, and all, this earth is more than 6,000 years old. You know, for us to get up here and say, now, 6,000 years ago there was nothing in the universe. Nothing at all. And then God just came on the scene. No, God had been dealing with this for eons of time. How many different societies may have lived on this planet? But through rebellion, they destroyed themselves. I was watching, just when I was studying this, there happened to be a documentary on the Incan Indians and 20,000, they have discovered 20,000 years of their history. Documented it. And in those 20,000 years, they went from everything from cannibalism to idolatry to you name it, they were very smart, they were very wise, but they literally destroyed themselves from the inside out through rebellion. They actually passed off the scene, I don't know, a millennium or so ago. 
And because of that, the remnants of what was left, that, that, you know, the remnants that was left with the, when the conquistadors came and found the remnant that was left, all of the ancient temples and all of that stuff that was built thousands of years ago, that society of people was already gone. They were not even around anymore. They just had the remnants of that. We've seen that in different, there was, there's, you know, the quote, the myth of Atlantis, which they have tried to prove some of the things and have proved some of the things that came out of Atlantis, all of the crafts of the earth, the ability to build, to put angles together, to do all this kind of, where are they? What happened to those guys? Has rebellion run its course for thousands and thousands of years upon this planet? And now here here we are, the human age that was created by God 6,000 years ago when he had to come back to the earth and cut the lights on. You say, why were the lights off? Because of rebellion. Rebellion in the spirit realm. When, when, when Jesus cast Satan to the earth, what happened? The lights went off and the earth went into an ice age. And then God came back on the sea and he, he arranged the continents. He put the oceans in place. He told the sand, you're the boundaries of the oceans and the oceans cannot pass you. He arranged the stars in the sky and the sun in certain ways in which we could live upon this planet. And then he put man in a garden, in a paradise. He didn't put him at the sixth day in. Amen. He put him in a beautiful paradise. And he put, see, here's the key to rebellion. When God creates, he creates everything with a will in it. And the will that is in everything he creates is subject to what? To rebel against its creator. And here you have this pristine environment of the Garden of Eden. No no disease, no sickness, no poverty, no lack. All the food you want, all the blessing you want. It didn't even rain. The earth would water itself from a mist that came up from the earth. And God put one tree in the garden. He said, that's my tree, don't touch it. All you have to do to live forever in paradise, upon the planet, is not to touch my tree. Why did he put the tree there? Choice. Free will. Now, here's what Lee and I were discussing. We're sitting at the breakfast table, and I looked over at Lee and I said, do you think, where do you think they lived in the garden? Where do you think they lived? you think that they heard God say that and said, don't touch that tree. Don't get near it. Don't look at that tree. Don't. The day you eat it, you shall surely die. Do you think that they, that they said, look, here, here's the deal, Adam. You think Eve said this or Adam said this to Eve? He said, here's the deal. You know, that tree could cause us a lot of problems. So what we're going to do is we're going to move way on the back side of the garden where we don't have to look at the tree. We don't have to think about the tree. We don't have to, we don't, you know, I think I saw a snake in that tree. What was that snake doing in that tree? No, they moved right up next to the tree. Where every day they were faced with a choice instead of getting away from the temptation. And what did it do? It caused them to fall into rebellion. They rebelled against God. Notice what God says here again. It says, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Look what Israel did. Look at the earth before Israel. In Noah's day, the whole earth, the Bible said, it was rebellious and violent. And rebellion in in, in fallen mankind is celebrated. It's celebrated. But in the body of Christ, it's destructive. So, you can read on through this and read all of the particulars. Get over to verse 19. This kind of summates it here. It says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Everybody say the good of the land. Now, what could the good of the land mean? 
Amen. What do you think is the good of the land? God wants his people partaking of the good. One translation says the best. Another translation says the very best. I love seeing new cars in this parking lot. I love seeing new luxury cars in this parking lot. I love seeing people dressed very nice. You know, rebellion shows up sometimes in the way we cut our hair, the way we dress. I remember for years under brother and sister Goodwin, uh, we were close to the Goodwins. Uh, Dad was on their board and, and we're, you know, just close to them, friends. We spent a lot of time over at their house. So we would go fishing with mom and dad Goodwin. Mom Goodwin loved to fish. Alan can testify this. Dad Goodwin would go with us. I never saw him, whether in the pulpit or whether at the catfish farm in Liverpool, Texas, without a suit and tie on. Well, that's just the way they were back in those days. No. They were submissive to God. And they gave God their very best, recognizing not to give God your very best is rebellion. And the Bible says, if you're willing, everybody say willing, there's your heart right there. There's your heart. You have to have a willing heart. And you have to recognize to develop a willing heart is literally labor to do it because everything in your Adamic nature goes against a willing heart. Amen. I'll show you that in just a minute. Now notice. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I like the good. I like Rolex better than I like Timex. Amen. I like Lexus better than I like Chevrolet. Now, see, people hear that. That's just that old prosperity materialism. You try. No, I'm telling you, God says you can eat the good of the land. You can live in the good. You can wear the good. You can drive the good. But you're going to have to make a decision to be willing, which is your heart, and obedient, which is your faith. Because obedience is to the Word of God. And in order to do that, you're going to have to set your opinions aside. You're going to have to get rid of your independence. You're going to have to get rid of your pride. And you're going to have to get rid of rebellion. Amen? I'm getting quiet in here already. Now, go, if you will, all the way. Go over to, go over to the book of James. Then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians. I want, to, I want to stay with this. Stick right close to the Word of God. Go over to the book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4. Uh, let's, let's begin there in verse 6. James 4 verse 6. Now let me just say this. When it comes to my preference, when it comes to teaching, I don't prefer to teach this stuff. You say, what do you mean by that? I love to teach on faith. I love to teach on redemption. I love to teach on the gifts of the Spirit. I love to teach on prosperity. But I found this out years ago because most of the people I taught this to when I was in field ministry were staffs of churches. I mean, many of the churches, we preached in over 300 churches in 20 years. And many of them, when I would come in and be doing meetings, the pastors would always, and some of them were staffs of three or four, and some of them were staffs of 25 and 30. Some of them actually, one, one particular church was a staff of almost 100 people. And they would come in and they would say, teach our staff, teach our staff, teach our staff, teach our staff. Now here's why. Because whenever I went to a church and stepped into that church, I stepped under the authority of the pastor. I submitted myself. I did not come in doing what I wanted to do. I came in praying and believing God I could figure out what he needed me to do. 
Now, they had a lot of other ministries in those churches that were bigger ministries than ours. Many of them would come and draw a big crowd, and they'd produce a big problem. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a, a, ministry, a ministry that comes in and usurps itself over the pastor will always leave rebellion in the church. That's why I'm very careful who I have in this pulpit. Anybody that comes to this pulpit submits to me as pastor of this church, whether it be somebody I'm submitted to, like Pastor Sam Carr or Pastor Mark Brzee, or where Paul Chase has a much larger church, a lot greater scope of ministry. But every time they come here, they know this principle. They submit to me as pastor, and when I go to their church, I submit to them as pastor. And when they're here submitted to me as pastor, I sit down, get my notebook, and submit to their gift. You see how it works? But see, you got other ministers that'll come in and they'll just usurp that over and they'll draw big crowds because they got a big name and they'll, and they'll sell a bunch of books and they'll get everybody on their mailing list and they'll start writing you letters because they want your money. That's not submission. You know, I said this to the early crowd, it bears repeating. Lee and I had ministry friends. We called it friends of the ministry. They weren't, quote, covenant partners. We told people, we're not in covenant with anybody here. You're in covenant with your pastor. You're in covenant with your church. So if somebody wanted to be what we called a friend of the ministry, we still have the literature, don't we, sweetheart? Uh, we, 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 we sent them a brochure, and when you open it up, this is what it says. If you want to be a friend of Rusty Martin Ministries, number one, you have to be a member in good standing of a local church. Number two, you must tithe and offer to that local church. Number three, if God speaks anything to you about supporting us, then you're able to do that with our permission if first you're a member of a church submitted to a pastor and tithe and offer at that church. Other than that, and we put it in our material, we don't want your money because it's rebellious money. I, we've had people call us. These that were on our staff back then can tell you. They'd call us and say, well, I'll tell you what, our pastor, they don't feed us like you do. We're going to send our tithe to you. We'll tell them, no, you won't. No, you're not. You're not going to send, you send your tithe to your local church. Don't you send it to us. You say, what is that? That's submission. We want to eat the good of the land. I'm not going to sell it out for a few bucks. Amen. Now, did you find James? Here we go. Verse 6, James chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. It says, but he, that's speaking of God, he giveth more grace. How many want more grace? Oh, my goodness, I want more grace. He giveth more grace. Let me find it here. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. Everybody say, the humble. Now, there's the humble part, the submission part. There's the humble part, there's the submission part. I'll show you the difference in a minute. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. No amens. <laughs> submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Resist the So your authority is directly proportionate to your submission. I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, submit, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word flee, F-L-E-E, run and start terror. Draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you. Now see, this, this is a principle with spiritual authority. Draw nigh unto God. Draw nigh unto God. wants you coming to him. He wants you. He does, he's already come after you through Jesus. He's done everything he can do to capture you, to grab you, to get you. He's come after you through Jesus. Once he captures your heart, he wants you pursuing him. You always ought to be pursuing God, coming after God, getting to know God. Now, the same thing's true with spiritual authority in the church. A lot of people say, well, that's the most unfriendly pastor. I wish he'd just get to know me. It's not my job to get to know you. It's your job to get to know me. 
Oh, I just thought I'd help you with that. Now notice this. Draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, now the greatest example of that is Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Took upon the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of men. Wherefore God hath and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Jesus humbled him. Now how many want to be, promote, how many want to be promoted in the kingdom? Jesus humbled himself. Everybody say humbled himself. He humbled himself. And God exalted him. The devil exalted himself and God humbled him. Are you with me? He cast him down. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. I mean, he threw him out of heaven so fast, it looked like lightning hitting the ground. Now listen. How many want to be promoted in the kingdom? Promotion in the kingdom always looks like a step down. So I don't know if I can take no step down. Well, in the natural, you can't because you're, you're too busy climbing up. But in the kingdom of God, many times promotion is a step down. We'll leave it with that. Humble yourself. Humble, what's the key word there? No, it's yourself. This is an act of your, so I'm just praying that God will humble me. No, don't pray that. You humble yourself. You come to God with a humble heart. A humble heart is what? It's a meek heart. It's a lowly heart. It's, it's just, the best way to understand it is it's just the opposite of a prideful heart. A prideful heart produces self-worth and selfishness. A humble heart produces God's worth and selflessness. Are you with me? Now, back to verse uh, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. There are three areas in which submission is significant. Now, anytime you hear the word submission, if you've ever sat under any teaching on submission that was kinky or weird, then automatically you're going to put up barriers. You say, oh, here we go again. I was around in the 70s when all that went into shepherding. Or I was around in the 80s when all this happened and, all the, and people were trying to get, you know, the pastor was uh, making a decision on what color socks you could, should wear. Nah, that's, listen, that's just goofy. All that is is goofy. Hopefully we've grown beyond that. Because a lot of times, ministers, pastors especially, all of us, we have these insecurities in us, but you can't compensate for your own ministerial insecurity by trying to control people. Let me try that again. You cannot compensate for ministerial insecurity by trying to control people. The way you do it is by controlling yourself, controlling your emotions, controlling your own heart, and becoming the example that God wants you to be to the flock that God gives you to. Are you with me? Now notice, submit yourself therefore to God. Submitting to God comes in three ways. Number one, we submit to God through His Word. Now, what did we talk about back when we were talking about an offended heart? One of the number one ways God gets people offended is at the Word. Why? Because the Word puts a demand upon you. The seed puts a demand upon the soil. The seed says to the soil, give me your nutrients. Give me your moisture. Give me the sunlight. Give me the warmth, and I'll give you what you don't have. I'll give you life. 
Listen, the word's going to come into your life. It's going to put a demand upon you. It's going to force you to make decisions. Let me say that again. The word of God in your life will force you to make decisions. Now, let me say this. (laughs) This ought to go over good. The easy decisions are whether to come to church, tithe and offer, support missions, be a part of the ministry of the church, all that. Those are the easy decisions. Where the Word of God will get on you and begin to press on you, actually the Bible says it'll wash you like fuller soap, is when the Word of God puts a demand on your character. Because after you live about 25, 30 years on the planet, you think that you're fixed in a certain position when it comes to your personality. And you're not. The Word of God can change anything about you. Any insecurity, any little idiosyncrasy, anything in your life that is negative that God knows will harm you, the Word of God can put a demand upon your character and demand that that Word be accepted and that Word begin change in your life and you end up on the other side of it better because God's not trying to harm you or hurt you. He's trying to bless you. Amen. So the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. Then we must submit to the Holy Spirit. Say, what do you mean by that? There is a leadership of the Holy Ghost in your human spirit that you need to learn to submit to. That's why we teach so much on prayer. That's why we teach so much on studying the Word of God. Is because if you can get sensitive to your own human spirit, then in your own human spirit, God can deposit positive direction by the Holy Spirit that will keep you out of trouble. There's been times that I wanted to go right, and God said, no, this is time to go left, not time to go right. And I think, well, it looks like time to go right. Looks like time to go. And God says, no, you need to go left. Go left. And I'm like, I want to go right. He says, no, you, you need to listen to the Holy Ghost and go left. So I end up going left. And I find out, man, I'm sure glad I didn't go right because everything on the right got all messed up. Amen. I mean, the Holy Ghost will guide you everything from your spiritual life to your marital life to your career to your job, every area, raising children, you name it. The Holy Ghost will guide you. He is the consummate guide. Amen. But you have to submit to him. I mean to tell you, I'd rather think the Holy Ghost talked to me and do something and mess it up than to actually have the Holy Ghost talk to me and not do it. That always grieves the Spirit of God. He quits talking to you. Can I get a better amen? Then the third thing. Now, we're going to go backwards forwards. You say, why? Because if you don't get this, the other two don't make any difference. The third thing you have to submit to is the people that God puts over you. People say, over me? Ain't nobody over me, buddy. You know, I'm Rambo 3. See, that, 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 that's the spirit that's in the world. I mean, if you look at the world today, you look at all that's going on and all that has gone on. Rebellion is so celebrated and so, how can I say, acceptable and yields such bitter fruit. You'd have thought we'd have learned by now. You'd have thought we'd have, but we haven't learned. So God sent this beautiful structure after redemption, after the, 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 the just most awesome work. We're, we're going to be coming into the Easter season here next month. Then we're going to study some things on redemption. Uh, this awesome work of redemption where God himself humbled himself and submitted himself. The, the word submitted to the Father. And the Word came to earth and was made flesh among us. And He lived a sinless life. And for three and a half years, He did signs and wonders and miracles to reveal the nature of God. Are you with me? 
Then he suffered and he died on a cross. No man, no man on the planet ever died. No matter how horrible of a death anybody ever died, is nothing to be compared to the death that the Lord Jesus Christ died. Then he suffered. He went into hell. He went into the abyss. I'm going to teach you something Easter morning. Most people don't realize, down in the abyss of the earth, no one is there yet. There are levels and layers to hell. And most people go into this holding place in the heart of the earth. The devil's not there. Demons aren't there. But the very source of the authority of evil is in the abyss of the earth. That's where Satan will eventually be locked away. In, in, the, in the worst possible isolated place on this planet. Satan and everyone that follows him. That, that is the ultimate end after that great white throne judgment. And they seal him in there forever. Jesus went there. You say, why? That's where you were supposed to go. You weren't designed to go there. Hell was not made for you. It was made for Satan and all of the fallen created spirit beings that fell with him. But Jesus went there because you fell and took on the nature of that adversary. And if you die in that condition, that's where you go. Jesus went there so you don't have to. You talk about submission. You talk about humility. Oh, my goodness. So he had to submit to the Father. Now, when we begin to realize that God requires submission, humility, when it comes to spiritual authority, we have to recognize He is not doing that to hold us back or harm us in any way. He's doing that to protect us. Now, go real quick. Let me see how we can do this. Let me find the right one here. Go to 1 Thessalonians. I think that would be the best place to start. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Yeah, that's, gonna be, that's a good place. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now notice this, verse 12, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 5, I was thinking of James 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, that shouldn't be but just one page over, but verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, and we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you, for you to know them that labor among you, amen, how's the best way to get to know me, come sit under the ministry. Come sit under the ministry. Now, let me just say this. This might help some of you. I always like to get around the, the, what people used to call the big preachers, the big dogs. They call them the big dogs. They had the big dogs and the little dogs. You know, little dogs stay on the porch, big dogs, you know, all that stuff. And so I found, a, I, find, I would find my way into green rooms where Brother Hagen was and Brother Osteen was and Brother Summerall was. And he said, how'd you do that? I served. Servant's heart will always promote you. And so getting around them and getting to know them personally, you say, what were you trying to do? I was trying to get to know them. I, was, I, was, I didn't say, well, I'm over here, Brother Osborne. If you want to know me, you can come over and talk to me. I didn't, uh, I ain't going to work. They'll walk out the door every time. So I was doing everything I could do. You can ask my wife. I was doing everything I could do to get to know them other than just from the pulpit. That is an effort, and not everybody succeeds in it. But here's the thing. If you'll know them that labor among you, it will help you to understand their character. And understand their heart. Because once you understand a person's true heart, the reason they do what they do and why they do what they do, you will understand their motivation. And once you understand their motivation, you will not judge them. Because as long as you're clueless about people's motivation, you, you can look at me today and say, that preacher just wants more of my money. He just wants to control me. He wants to do this. Well, that's totally wrong. That's 100% wrong. What we're trying to do is get you to see some principles in the Word of God that's going to develop a godly heart in you. Remember this series, what we're doing. We're talking about issues of the heart. Amen. 
Now notice what it says. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and that are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. A lot of people in the body are not at peace among themselves because they don't understand the person that's put in authority. Now let me read this in the This is going to help some of you today. It says in verse 12 in the Amplified, Now also we beseech you, brethren, get to know those that labor among you. Uh, uh, Recognize them. Now notice this. For what they are. Acknowledge and appreciate and respect them all, your leaders who are over you in the Lord, and those who warn and kindly reprove and exalt you. Hold them in very high and most affectionate esteem, intelligent, sympathetic appreciation of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, this is going to help a bunch of you this morning. This will help you. To you, I'm a who. I can't be your who. See, that's what a lot of people, they they have problems with pastors. That's why a lot of people go from church to church. Because they see a personality, they see a ministry gift, and it's a who. But I'm not a who to you. I'm a who to Leah. I'm a who to my dad my family. But I'm not a who to you, I'm a what. And if you get the two mixed up, then you're going to get messed up. You say, what do you mean I'm a what? I am a pastor. I stand in a ministry office that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to you as a gift. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if you, if you try to make me a who in your life, you're never going to like me. You're never going to understand me. You're never going to understand any of my motivations, and it's going to be hard for you to receive my teaching. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of people, how can I say this without getting, sometimes it's not your toes need to be stepped on, it's your head. <laughs> Somebody said that one time and said, boy, you really stepped on my toes today. I said, once your toes need stepping on, your toes aren't your problem. If it was just our toes, we wouldn't be in such trouble. Amen? You have to recognize offices that Jesus sets in the church. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Now, those are not given in order of importance. They're given in order in which they appeared in the body of Christ. The apostles came first. And the prophets, and the apostles and prophets had the standard of the word of God. They're the ones that wrote all the letters to the church. Amen? The apostles, the prophets. Then came the evangelists, like Philip. You say, why? Well, you had to have a crowd in order to pastor them. Then after the evangelists came, here came the pastors and teachers in order to take all of those that had been gathered by the evangelists in which there was now a foundation of the apostles and prophets. Are you with me? See how God builds things? He builds them correctly. Now, God gives us pastors today, and that's what they need to be, is your pastor. I don't need to be rusty. Some of you want me to be rusty. I can't be rusty to you. Amen? You say, why not? Because as long as I'm rusty, you'll never see what I am. As long as I'm rusty, I'm who? I'm not what? Are you understanding that? See, see, I always taught this to staffs and stuff and was very reluctant to teach it to churches because I knew the person that needs to teach this to the church is the pastor. So now it's time for us to have a what? A heart change. So that we understand things the way God has placed them in the Word of God. Because when you understand the way God has placed it in His Word, you see how He's done it with such excellent wisdom that it's a benefit to us all. It's not good for me to be a who to you. It's not good for me to be a who to you. It's good for me to be a what to you. 
because if I'm a who to you, I'm going to interact and I'm going to interact with you intellectually and not spiritually. Amen. Listen, I have to pastor the, pastor the church spiritually. That's why I don't try to get to know a lot of people. I don't want to know about your problems. I don't know what, I want to know about your situations. I want to teach you how to deal with them. If you could be out, about, about, out beyond your faith, I want to help you. Come up, I'll pray for you. I'll agree with you. But I need to be able to get a word of knowledge if you're in trouble so that you know God is speaking to you. I need, I need to be able to get a word of wisdom when you need direction so you know God is speaking to you. And it's not because we've been having hours of conversation. Because if you don't have somebody spiritually over you like that, what are you going to do? You're going to flounder. And many pastors, because of insecurity, what they try to do is they try to be everybody's best friend. And they wear themselves out socializing. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. I love fellowship. I love it as much as anybody. But I very much limit myself. You say, why? Because there are things I do not want to know about you. You say, why? Because it's the Word of God that needs to address. Let's, let's say it like this. It's the pastor through the Word of God that needs to address that and not Rusty. Amen. Go to Hebrews real quick. Oh, I'm doing good. Is this helping anybody? We want to develop a godly heart. Amen. So we submit to spiritual authority, then the Holy Ghost, then the Word. I'll show you how that works in just maybe, maybe next week. Here we go. Hebrews 13. Is this helping anybody? We want to help you. We don't want to hurt you. We want to help you. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, at the end of this scripture, God puts that great evangelistic scripture, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, he's equating that to the, to the system that God... Paul calls it a system of truth. Now, listen to this in the Amplified. This will blow your mind. Remember your leaders, superiors, in authority, for it was they who brought you to the Word of God. Observe, observe attentively and consider their manner of living, the outcome of their well-spent lives, and intimidate, and, and, what's that word? Imitate, that's right. And imitate their faith, their conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ, and their learning of the entire human personality on God, leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in His power and goodness. Now, this is what it's saying. It's saying God loves you so much, He sent Jesus to be the preeminent pastor of your life. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. Amen. He is the chief shepherd. He is the one that sits where? He's in the heavens. He's not down here building churches, buying houses, buying cars, receiving offerings, praying for the sick, teaching the Word of God. So what does he do? He has subordinates called under-shepherds. For years when we went to Lakewood, Pastor Osteen would say, I'm not your pastor. Jesus is your pastor. I am the under-shepherd. That's what I am to Island Church. I'm not your pastor, Jesus. He's your good shepherd. He's your great shepherd. Amen. He's your chief shepherd. So he sets me down here in an office, a gift to you. Are you with me? I am responsible for your soul. Now, people are always wanting input into me. Pastor, I had a lady come to my office. Bless her heart. 
This has been, it's, it's right before the storm. May have caused the storm, I don't know. <laughs> but she had to see me, had to see me. Had to, and she came in and she had this list. It was this long. She says, I've been praying and this is what you're supposed to do. She had three books I was supposed to write. Three books I was supposed to write. And then I was supposed to do this in the church, this in the church, this in the church, and this in the church. And of course, her list included her being much more active on the pulpit, in the, in, on, the, on the platform. I handed it back to her and said, well, I'll pray about that. Well, she didn't like that at all. Because what people want is they want input and access without responsibility. Well, God spoke to me. We're supposed to be doing this ministry. Well, when he speaks to me, we'll do it. There's a whole lot we could be doing, but we're not going to do it until God says do it. You say, why? Because he sees when we're equipped. He sees when we're ready. He sees when we can do it. So a lot of people, they want input, but they don't want the responsibility for what the input produces. Because in reality, there's only two people that will ever stand before God for what went on in this church, and that's Leah and I. And that is an awesome responsibility. So God sets us down here to plow through the muck and the mire and the poverty and the sickness and disease and to come out on the other side and say, it works. And then God says, now follow them and imitate their faith. Imitate their conversation. That's the word lifestyle. Look how they're living. Look what it's producing in their lives. And listen, I'm, I don't like to talk about, that's another problem. I don't like to talk about stuff. Number one, is really, Leah doesn't like it. She doesn't like us to say nothing about our stuff. She just doesn't like it. But I will say this. We got us some stuff. I said, we got us some stuff. And we didn't get it by fleecing the sheep. Come on, church. We didn't get it by fleecing the sheep. We got it by standing in faith, believing in God, listening to the Holy Ghost, submitted to the Word, submitted to the the Holy Ghost, and submitted to those that are over us. You say, you mean there's people over you? Yes, there is. There's men that I am in relationship, not just fellowship, not somebody I see on the TV. There are men I am in relationship, men like Pastor Sam Carr, men like Pastor Mark Brzee, men like Pastor Pastor Paul Chase. I am in submission to them as men over me in the things of God. They have more years in ministry. They have more wisdom. They have more proven success. Amen. They have permission at any time, if they hear anything kinky in my life, weird in what I'm doing, to come and tie me to a tree and preach to me for five hours and get it out of my life. (laughs) To bind the devil, to cast out whatever it is, to do whatever it is. And I'm in constant contact and communication with those guys. Constant contact and communication. Getting, getting counsel. Asking, what did you do when this happened? What did you do when that happened? We are constantly submitting ourselves to the authority that is over Leah and I. You say, why? It protects us. It keeps us safe. It gives us accountability. Because if we don't have accountability outside the church, we'll never have accountability in the church. There's a lot of guys that are just lone rangers out there. And I've watched their ministries. And they'll grow up and be all right for a while. Then they'll drop down in a valley for years and years and years. Then they may have a little bounce or two right before they go to be with the Lord. But that's all they'll ever have. Many of them start big, blow up, and just go down and become just like weeds grow. You ever notice weeds can pop up and grow overnight? And where'd that thing come from? 
But I'm telling you, you do it God's way and you won't be a weed growing. You'll be a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season and God will bring blessing upon you. And what did the Bible say? We read in Isaiah, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Leah and I have been eating the good of this land. We are blessed. We live blessed. We drive blessed. We dress blessed. We eat blessed. We're blessed in our lives. And God sets that as the template for your life. You say, you really believe that? No, I know that. Because that's how God does it. But in you, there must be a submission. Now, let me close with this. Uh, a particular minister, I, I don't know him. I've, I've been acquainted with him. I've met him several times. In uh, uh, listening to some of his teaching along these lines, he gave an illustration that blew my mind. It literally blew my mind. He watched a documentary. It's been some years ago that it was made. I'm going to look for it and try to find it. But, but these, these people did this documentary on homeless people. They took a briefcase and put $100,000 in it. And they took it out where there was a lot of homeless people, and they just set it there. And they got back. And they, the, 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 the minister that was telling the story said they sat there for like four hours, and finally someone picked it up, brought it over to the side, opened it up, saw there was $100,000 in $100 bills in there. Well, they, I mean, that, they thought, you know, wow, this is it, you know. And so the people that are doing the documentary popped out, and they said, you know, uh, the, the money's yours to do with what you want to do with it. We just want to document what you do. And so the guy, of course, he, he went and got off the street. He went and got him a little apartment. He bought him a little truck. He bought a whole bunch of stuff and took it out there and gave it to the homeless people. You know, uh, he, he, he continued to spend the money for food and this and that and do different things with the money. And the money began to get a little, you know, began to wane down. And so one of the documenters said to him, you ever thought about getting a job? He said, yeah, you know, I think I need to get a job. So he went out and applied for two jobs. One of them called him back, but he didn't. He never went to, never showed up to go to work. Six weeks after the $100,000 came into his life, he lost his truck. All his money's gone. He's kicked out of his apartment. He's back on the street. So the person interviewed him came to said, why do you think this happened? He said, well, he said, I just don't like anybody telling me what to do. <laughs> Every one of us have this, that in us. Don't look at me so holy. Every one of us have that in us. I just don't want anybody telling me what to do. And that goes, listen, that doesn't stop with a pastor. That goes all the way to God. How many people have said to God, I just don't want God. Israel said to God, we, don't want, we want a calf. We want to worship a calf. We don't want God telling us what to do. We don't want it. That's part of the fallen Adamic nature that gets into the heart. And God has built this beautiful structure. And let me tell you sometimes, God will put you in a place of humility and submission that you don't like. Some of you wonder, why do I have to drive to Galveston? Amen. There's a lot of people that probably should be driving, but they're like, nah. I mean, I heard one guy, come, he came and said, well, I love you teaching and preaching. I tell you, I really love it, but, you know, I just hate Galveston. I knew you ain't going to be here long. <laughs> he wasn't either, amen? But here's the thing. I was at Lakewood at a time, right before they built that big, beautiful building that set 8,500 people. They were in a, in a, in a, <laughs> in a building they'd piecemealed together. And I'm telling you, it was piecemealed together. 
It started out seating 1,000, then it set 2,500, then it set 5,000. On the rickety, the, the, just the, you never saw a worse folding aluminum chair. Am I right? I mean, if you sat on it for 30 minutes, your behind hurt so bad, you had to stand up. And Brother Osteen did not realize that until Kenneth Copeland came and preached four hours. And Brother Osteen had to sit on one of those chairs for four hours. The next Sunday, he got up and took an offering to put theater seating in the church. We went from 5,000 seats to 2,500 seats. And instead of one service a day, they'd do five on Sunday. But oh, I just loved it. It was so easy to be submitted. Everyone came there. Norval Hayes, Teal Osborne, Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Cole, you know, they all came there and preached. It was just wonderful. And then God, God started dealing with my heart and dealing with my life. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over. I preached for a, for a gentleman over in Lamarck, Texas, in a funeral home. There were probably 25 people on a Wednesday night. I preached. I remember the offering was 50 bucks. Thank you. Praise God. Went home and said, well, that's over with. And about... Oh, three days later, praying, interceding, the Lord says, now I want you to leave Lakewood Church and I want you to go join that church that meets in that funeral home down on the mark. Now here's how I responded. You lying devil. I resist that thought in the name of Jesus. The Bible says to speak. I say in the name of Jesus. You will not put these kinds of ideas in my mind. I'm not kidding you. I said, I'm not, that's not a lie. That's exactly what I did. The second time, you lying devil. I bind you. I will not entertain thoughts like that in Jesus' name. Come on, church. So I didn't know Leah was waiting for me there. I didn't know she was waiting for me there. Amen. The Bible says, whosoever findeth a guy findeth a good thing. My good thing was there. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the, she was the good of the land for me. You understand that? And so about the fourth time he said that, I said, oh, my God. I'm going to have to leave. The greatest charismatic church in the world and go to a funeral home? I did not go willingly and I did not go obediently. I went with an attitude. Some of you are looking at me like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm telling you, I've been through all this. This is why I'm trying to help you today. I went with an attitude and my attitude did not get better, it got worse. And worse and worse. It took me five years. All I knew is I'm supposed to be here. That's all I knew. I'm supposed to be here, and I'm supposed to do whatever I'm supposed to do to help you build this church. Well, some Sundays it was take care of the nursery. Other Sundays it was take out the trash. Other Sundays it was do this or do that. I don't like any of that. I don't like any of that. And one day in prayer, that's why it pays to pray, the Lord spoke to me. He said, your attitude, you have the worst attitude toward this whole scenario. And I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to promote you. You're struggling in your field ministry, trying to get meetings. And you're wondering why this don't work for you. You better, you better get a willing heart real quick or none of this will work for you. And I'm telling you, I got on my knees and I got a willing heart real quick. It wasn't, a, it wasn't but a couple of years after that that Leah was able to come out of the business world and come into the ministry and start to work in the ministry. And God began to bless us financially. And doors began to open all over the world. But I never, I never left my submission to that which God had called me to. Everything that I was required to do, I taught in a Bible school there. I helped develop it. Taught there 13 years. I'd be gone sometimes three weeks at a time. I'd come back and I'd have to make up sometimes 10 classes. Am I telling the truth? I couldn't spend time with my wife. 
She was still working at her business. So I'd have to teach Thursday night, eight, uh, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. I'd have to come back on Friday morning and teach at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 12 o'clock just to catch up on all my classes. But see, I'd, I'd submitted myself. I'd humbled myself. And I'd made the decision to do what God had called me to do the way God had called me to do it. And see, many times we wonder, why didn't this, why didn't this, that preacher gets up there and talks about how this faith stuff has done all this in his life. And he's, he's got all these good things and, and he lives in this great house and he, and, he, and he flies all over the world and gets to do all this great stuff. Why is it not working for me? It's really not an, uh, uh, an issue of semantics of how the word actually works by believing and confessing. Many times it's our own character and our own heart that's messed up. And we wonder, why isn't this thing working? It's, it's really an attitude of the heart, a change of the heart. Where you, where you come away from that independent, very independent and rebellious and prideful heart and you go over here and you just get this heart of submission and you become meek, you become lowly. You're like, man, you need me to do it, I'll do it, whatever it is. Like one preacher used to say, old preacher I used to say, I'll plow, plow plant, or hoe as long as I can be involved in the harvest. That's all I'll, I'll do, whatever it takes. You want me to watch the kids? You want me to work in the parking lot? Whatever you want me to do. See, that's a submissive heart. A lot of times we only do what we want to do. Amen. That's independence. Amen? <laughs> one preacher said, why can't we just do what we're told? Why can't we just do what we're told and do it the way we're supposed to? Because it's not our nature. It's our fallen nature to resist the things of God. And then when God puts a leader up and sets a leader up, what's the first response we have toward most leadership? Ask Moses. Amen? Make us a calf. We don't like that. Same thing's true in the churches. You get up, you begin to help people, bless people, and the first, see, because I'm really the only target you have to shoot at when it comes to your frustration spiritually. But it just may be I'm the best friend you've ever had. Because I'm going to share every precept, every principle that's ever worked for me. I'm going to share it with you. And you can come up right behind it. And just like Leah and have, I have been doing, we're going to eat the good of the land. And we're trying to bring this church into that so we can build that building and get on with God called us to do. Because in order to build that building, we're going to have to do what? We're going to have to be willing and obedient so we can eat the good of the land. Amen. Does that help you today? Amen. Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and life to us. We thank you that forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Father, today we ask you to examine our hearts. Lord, let us, don't let us examine each other. Let, let us get away from motivation. Let us get away from ego, ambition, all these different things. And let us examine our own hearts. As David said, search me, O oh Lord. Search me, O oh Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my strength and my redeemer. Create within me, O oh Lord, a clean heart and a right spirit. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Lord, we echo that prayer. That's our prayer today as a church, as a body, as a people that we would have a clean heart and a right spirit. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would not depart from us, but Lord, your Holy Spirit would fill us 
enhances and blesses. We thank you for it, Father. We receive it by faith in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Are you saved this morning? If you're saved, love the Lord, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. If you love the Lord and Jesus, you know you're going to heaven, shout praise the Lord. Praise now, if you couldn't shout and you want to be sure of that, raise your hand. Anybody at all? Say, if you couldn't shout, make sure everybody's saved. I know God's working on the church. You notice over the years, we always have five to seven to ten people up here getting saved. Notice, as I, when I started this series on the heart, I had one person come up here and got saved. I had one person got, uh, came up here and got right with God. You say, why? Because God's not working on the sinners. He's working on us. So we can have more of those people up here and keep them now. Amen. So if you're willing and obedient, but if you, if you rebel, then you'll be devoured. Now, it's very easy to receive instruction from the Word. But you have to make a decision whether you can receive reproof or correction or instruction in righteousness. That's where submission takes place. I mean, everybody get up and shout. We talk about how to pay, how to get out of debt. Glory to God. Gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. End times. Glory to God. Not a lot of demand put on you for that. But this kind of teaching puts great demands upon your heart. And let me just say, I know there's people in here that are, that are younger Never, never, never think that you can put this off to another time. I so wish my heart would have changed when I was a teenager because I developed a rebellious heart. You say, how did you do that? It started with music. We'll get into that during this series. How the music you listen to can turn you into a rebel. You can look so spiritual, but you're full of rebellion. There's all kinds of things. We'll look at that as we, as we go through this series because it's going to help you grow. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.